You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled, Lord. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. And I'm glad you've joined to hear more from the Word of God, the Bible. The word Lord is still in common usage and is often part of a longer word, such as landlord, warlord or Overlord. There are about 45 words in the English language that contain the separate word Lord. Like many words we use, this one comes from a word used in the past and has been handed down through the centuries. So then, what are the origins of the word Lord? In high school I studied English history and learned about the manorial system, which was a system of social organisation through Europe during the Middle Ages, roughly from the beginning of the 2nd century AD through to the middle of that millennium. When the Norman King William, William the Conqueror, overthrew the English army at the Battle of Hastings in 1066, Britain was divided up into fiefs, that is, sections of land of around a a thousand acres or more. The head of each fief was probably previously an officer in the Norman army. The English were given sections of land within the fiefs to grow their crops and raise their animals. The stately home of the ruler or the boss was called a manor, and the common people known then as serfs or villians, and they lived in the surrounding village. The ruler or the boss of a fife was known as the lord, or the lord of the manor. The common people were under his control, and a percentage of their crops and other produce was to be given to the lord. The common people, therefore, were the lord's servants, and he was their master. And this system of social organisation worked reasonably successfully until about the 1500s. Most of you have probably heard of the Christmas story. Possibly some of you took part in nativity plays when you were children and are familiar with the story about the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 is the announcement made by the angel to the shepherds as they watched their flocks by night. Now I don't know if you realise that shepherds spending the night with their flocks in open country only occurred in the late spring, the summer and early autumn as during the colder winter months the sheep and other animals were kept in a fold, a kind of a yard or a barn. Now this little piece of information indicates that Jesus was not born on December 25, because in the Northern Hemisphere that's in the dead of winter, much too cold to be out on the hillsides caring for flocks and herds of animals. Back to Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. It says, 
But the angel said to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Saviour has been born unto you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, Christ is not a surname like Smith or Jones. It's a title meaning the Anointed One or Messiah. When people use the two names, Jesus Christ, it actually means Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One. But did you notice the angel announced that this baby was both Saviour and Lord. And don't miss that point, because many sincere people have missed it and continue to miss it. Now, Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. After the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples, excluding Judas, who had committed suicide, and Thomas, who must have been somewhere else at the time, were gathered together in a secret room for fear of the Jews. Jesus came in and spoke to them, and this is recorded in John 20, verses 19 to 21. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Later on, Thomas came in and the other disciples excitedly told him that they had seen the Lord. But Thomas would not believe it. Have you ever heard the expression, doubting Thomas? Well, now you know where it comes from. I'll read further from John 20, this time verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, <laughs> Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas then said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. What did Thomas call Jesus? It was my Lord and my God. Thomas took Jesus as his Lord seriously. You know, it's thought he, was, he later went as a Christian missionary as far as India and died there as a martyr being speared to death. 
There are a number of Bible verses in the New Testament where the two descriptors, Lord and Saviour, are used together. And here are some. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 3.20. Here's another one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Saviour and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. It's from 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. Here's another one, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. That's 2 Peter verses one, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So here's another one. For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. 2 Peter 1, 11. A few more. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. 2 Peter 2.20 Another one. That you should remember the words spoken beforehand and by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Saviour spoken by your apostles. 2 Peter 3.2 And here's the last one. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 Other verses say, God our Lord or God our Saviour. This is further evidence that Jesus, as is explained in John 1, is God. The same expression, Lord and Saviour, is used in churches and in prayers. But I'd like to suggest that there are many people who accept Jesus as Saviour, but not as Lord. What does it mean that Christ is Lord? It means we enter the domain of God's reign when we enthrone Christ as our Lord or the Lord of our life. This seems simple enough, but actually there's a lot of misunderstanding of what this means. The Bible says that if we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That's in Romans 10.9. To the thinking of many consumeristic-minded people today, this is simply a cheap deal that's too good to pass up. What does it mean to confess that Jesus is Lord? 
According to Webster's Dictionary, a lord is one who has power and authority over others. I don't think the Greek concept of lord, kurios, as applied to Jesus Christ, is very far from this. So when a person confesses that Jesus is Lord, they are confessing that Jesus has power and authority over them. And for a person to confess that someone has power and authority over them means they submit to them. That means they must obey him. If anyone confesses Jesus is Lord, but doesn't actually submit to his power and authority, well, they contradict themselves. No wonder Jesus asked, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? He was pointing out that people who do this are simply saying words without meaning what they say. The simple truth is that when Paul tells us that if we confess Jesus is Lord, we will be saved, he's not giving us a magical salvation verbal formula. Rather, he's stipulating what kind of relationship we need to have with Jesus to be saved. This relationship, by definition, must be one of submission. We are saved when we authentically surrender our lives over to Christ. This not only changes our eternal destiny, but it begins to bring wholeness into our lives. We'll go on with this straight after the break. Rock of ages left for me Let me hide myself in thee Let the water and the blood From thy wounded side which flow Be a sin, the double cure Save from wrath and make me pure While I told this bleeding friend When my eyes shall close in death When I rise to worlds unknown And behold beyond thy throne Rock of peace left for me Let me hide myself in thee Let me hide myself in thee Now, this business about being Lord and Saviour leads to a rather sobering conclusion. People who confess Jesus is Lord as a magical formula to invoke a shortcut to heaven without actually submitting their lives to Christ are just fooling themselves. It is, as Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's in John 14, verse 15. So all this causes me to wonder if in the true sense of Lord, am I just playing with words 
Or am I really, honestly, a servant, an obedient disciple of Christ? Do I find myself obeying and carrying out what my Lord has told me to do? Am I following the whole truth of the Bible? Or do I pick and choose what I want to obey and ignore the parts that don't fit in with my plans or desires? Am I happy to have Jesus as my Saviour, but unhappy to have him as my Lord? Those same questions are for you to answer as well. Are you holding back on Christ while praising him for being your Saviour, yet not committing yourself to him as your Lord? Are you happy to sing the song, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, For thee all the follies of sin I resign, My gracious Redeemer, Redeemer, my Saviour art thou, If ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. If you sing these words, or similar words, you're a hypocrite if you're not prepared to obey. That is the critical issue. First John 3.18 goes like this. Love is not mere words and talk. It is true love that shows itself in action. And this was reiterated by Jesus recorded in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, where he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. To not accept Christ as Lord means that one does not do his will, that is, doesn't obey his commandments. And did you see that Jesus referred to such people as evildoers? Among some of my Protestant friends are those who claim Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But unfortunately, in reality, only accept him as a part-time Lord because they partly obey him only part of the time. It is a widespread belief in many Protestant circles that when someone accepts Christ into their life, when they first become saved, they are saved for all time, no matter what. They think it's impossible to become unsaved. My friends, I believe that idea is a fallacy 
as the New Testament names five Christian believers who fell back into their heathen ways. The names of these people are Diotrephes, Demas, Hymenus, Alexander and Philetus. And furthermore, the Apostle Peter warns about Christian believers. He says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church members in the city of Philippi, said, and this is found in the book of Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is quite presumptive to assume that from the point of time when you become saved that things won't change. Others, as I pointed out earlier, have fallen back to their once worldly ways. Paul advises us to continue to work at our salvation and not take it for granted that we will always stay that way. We must make day-to-day choices to honour Christ as not only our Saviour, but as our God and our Lord. I have to make those choices, and so do you. Friends, it is my hope and prayer that you will choose to obey Christ, to regard him as your Lord in addition to being your Saviour. And I hope you will not just have him as your Lord part-time, but for all time in everything. <laughs> 